Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. All right, Chris, here we are another week, and uh, we have a special show today. Yes, we do. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I'd like, I'd like to uh, uh, introduce everyone to Beth Thomas, an old and dear friend and uh, CEO of Change for Growth here in Columbus, Ohio. Welcome, Beth. Thanks, guys. Great to be with you today. Yeah. So we have a unique show in that we have a guest, but we also have a third kind of mind to help us tackle an important topic, this idea of change and change management. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have three people, three different sets of experiences. But I think what we want to do, Beth, is, is learn more about the specialized skill set that you bring to the table mm-hmm. around this idea of change management. It's in the name of your business. It's in your blood. Um, and you've even uh, been recognized with a national award. I'd love it. Maybe you yeah. can give us a sense of how you won that award and kind of a little bit about the background that you bring to the uh, this area of expertise. Yeah, absolutely. So the award was the top change management firms in the country. And it was the top 10, actually, we were nominated. And they, you know, did a great interview process. And we were able to get a, you know, a a document that really previewed some of the extraordinary things that we've been able to do with our clients. And, you know, what they said is, we really seem to be an organization that was set apart from others. And, and mm-hmm. some of the reasons they cited was the fact that we are practitioners at heart. Many of us have led these type of organizations in our client type organizations. And, you know, we have an OCM toolkit. We have a digital transformation platform where all of the tools and templates that we offer are digitized and integrated. So we can do executive dashboards. We can do all kinds of surveys and reports. We are all certified in CQ intelligence, which is an assessment tool on how to help executives lead change. And, you know, we really work hard to help build the capability within an organization. So we just don't come in and do the work and leave, but we really leave you in much better um, shape than we were when we got there and, and help bring that capability to your organization internally. That's wild. That's amazing. You know, the first thing I think of, and I know Chris, you'll have some comments on this as well. Uh, when I think of the level of expertise that you bring to the table around change, um, when we work with organizations, oftentimes we're talking about things that we take for granted because we're practitioners, but that a lot of organizations uh, take for granted, like change. This is this idea of whether you're recruiting, whether you're developing training, whether you're buying software, whatever it is, that they underestimate the impact of change in the organization. And instead of looking at it holistically, a lot of leaders look at it as a 
point solution or a tactical shift in in how they operate, but don't think about the implications. Am I on the right track in terms of understanding what organizational change management does or what it covers? Yeah, absolutely. If you think about, you know, very simply, organizational change management is about helping people get through the transition from the old state to the new state, whether it's people, process, technologies, and, you know, really help them become advocates to where the future is. And what some companies do is they'll spend millions of dollars on software. You know, they'll get an SAP or an Oracle or, you know, a new CRM tool, and and they won't really consider the impact that it's going to have on the users. And they're the ones that are going to try to, you know, make this successful and help you achieve your ROI. So I always look at it, we are the ROI to a big change. And, you know, having a change strategy is really the difference between success and failure. So it's a holistic view um, that helps bring together the pieces to make that optimization work for the change. Mm. I love that. So many times I know we've all seen where people are focused on the part or the piece that right. they're most emotionally connected to. Sometimes their ego is the most invested in that piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whatever that is that they're focusing on, they miss that whole big picture view. I, I'm, yeah. I'm curious just to ask what for you was a moment or a shift when you really started appreciating the big picture view? Cause I know that no doubt has spilled over into your work. Yeah. You know, I, I was an executive at Limited Brands and, and this is going to date me and make me, you know, show my age a little bit. But I was responsible for Y2K from a standpoint of how do we get, how do we make sure all of the new systems we're implementing are going to be effective for all the businesses. And at that time, there was several limited businesses and we had a great training and change management program to the fact that like no retailer really invested back then in organizational change. And I'll never forget, you know, going through that process and just how massive it was and how many people's lives that we impacted through that. You know, we got one-on-one with a lot of people. We had a change network. So we were constantly listening and asking questions about what their journey was like. And, and in the end, it was the shining star of the Y2K effort. And people noted that, that the training and the change management was so good um, that that helped people become advocates for the change and, and really go through that adoption process. So, you know, that's where I had my big aha moment. And I said, this just, just isn't about a point in time, like Y2K effort or, you know, something that is going to be um, a big event like that. This has to be institutionalized as a capability within the organization. And so post Y2K is how I decided to create a business plan and present it to the limit executives on how do we keep this going now that the Y2K is over. Everything we do should have an element of change management in it. And they were all very, very supportive and, um, you know, approved it. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a cool backstory. Came out of your own experience like that, watching all that happen. Um, Jimmy, I'll hand it off to you because I got about 17 things going off in my head now. (laughs) Well, I know, Chris, you and I are experts on people. We talk about that all the time. And uh, 
you know, whether we use the word systems or other types of words to describe the things that surround people that people use to do their jobs, the tools, et cetera. Um, you know, Beth, I can imagine that Y2K, I mean, I remember that time. I was not leading a team at that time, but I remember being part of an organization that made the shift to help other Are you saying that I'm older than you? <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you were more accomplished quicker than me. Let's put it that way. Okay. Faster in the organization. <laughs> you I was me still old. learning. <laughs> uh, I'm but, sorry. Uh, Go ahead. No, it's great. You know, it's, it is amazing to think that it was 22 years ago. I mean, it's just. It is. And every time, funny, every time I talk about it, you know, people, you know, don't see it as a, a, um, an event that they see it as an event so long ago, but it's still so relative. It's still so relative. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, so the, and so the big thing for me is, is, you know, an organization in, actually invents change management for their organization. And we know the growth trajectory that limited had after that, it was just phenomenal. So yeah, clearly it had a big impact on the trajectory of the organization. Uh, but it was one of those, you could you could call it a once in a lifetime type of events that said, look, we have to rally the troops and make this happen. Yeah. But to me, to me, change management is is um, pervasive or should be pervasive because it has to do with people. And mm-hmm. and the issue isn't let's install some software. The issue is how do we get better? How do we improve the way you execute? Right. And we know how people respond to change. Anytime you grow, Chris and I say it all the time, growth is the mastery of change. Well, how do we, how do we make our organization resilient and welcoming of change? Because, because we know the organization is essentially uh, an accumulation of human beings, of people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so that is a great that. point. Um, a couple of years ago, actually, it's probably been four or five years ago, we helped an organization um, become change resilient. We have a whole program around that. And the whole reason was, is change is going to continue to happen. It's like the uh, waves in the ocean, right? And uh, we've been through a tsunami of change in the last two years. And so the best organizations out there are looking at change agility as a competency within the organization. So no matter what the change, they are resilient against that change. So while they're going through the change, you know, some of the indicators are how engaged are they through the change and did did the change cause a lot of disruption or disengagement? And, you know, we're really helping people to say, how do you deal with those cards you've been dealt, whether it's a sudden change or whether it's a planned change, you know, we are helping build that competency so you are able to deal with that change productively um, throughout the process. No, I love that. Uh, Chris, tell me about, tell me about, so Chris, from your perspective, when you think about the reasons people resist change, what do you experience? Yeah, working with the individuals, which we work with the executive teams also, it, it starts with them. So I love that phrase you use, change agility, change agility, and yeah. and defining it as a competency. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that we think about this, and I'm curious to hear your reaction to this, Beth, would be when when someone who's leading doesn't know how to separate who they are from the role. The way that we language it is, they don't have an identity apart from the role. They only know themselves as such and such VP, such and such sweet C-suite mm-hmm. person. Then 
if the change is their idea, they love it. And there's usually blind spots. If the change isn't their idea, very oftentimes there's some piece of it that is threatening to them. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you help them adopt change agility as a competency if they're not already agile? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, 70% of transformations fail. And two of the top reasons are employees resist change and leaders don't know how to lead change. So we actually spend a lot of time with leaders and help them identify what their blind spots are, what their strengths are, and how to take that not only individually to help them lead their employees through change, but as a team, as a leadership team. Um, Because we have seen so much that leaders have the best intentions, they talk the talk, but they fall down when they have to walk that talk. And that's where, um, you know, we have to be really tactical about helping leaders understand what does it mean to lead change? What are the activities that are associated with leading change? How do you show up and lead by example when it comes to leading change? So we have an actual program that teaches leaders how to lead change, because like I said, they have the best of intentions, but they don't realize the the risks of some of their actions. For example, if training is scheduled and they schedule a meeting over the training, what message does does that send? Mm -hmm. If a new system is out and they expect everyone to use it, but they're asking for reports from the old system, what message does that send? So it really is about tactically teaching each leader from their own scenario, their own contextual spot in the organization What can they do specifically? And as a change management firm, we go in and we help leaders. We do, you know, do say no kind of um, kits for the leaders. So we're giving them coaching and we're giving them tip sheets on really the things to say and the actions to do to help people want to follow them Mm -hmm. because they are such an important part of a transformation and really any change. People are looking at the leaders for their example, and there's going to be shadow of a leader. So if they don't adopt, you're not, you're not going to have um, a big adoption. So they have to understand those risks. You know, remember I talked about the ROI and if you have a change strategy as part of your change, statistically, you'll get about 145% of your ROI. If you don't, you get 35%. So most executives need to understand what that pain is and what the risks are of not implementing change management with the change that they're going through in order to, I think, you know, get on board a little bit more. Yeah. I love that. It's because so often the leader wants to just move fast and get yeah. ahead and let's go and, be under and, budget or not pay enough. And, and, you know, the thing I tell people about that is like, you will pay twice as much if it gets installed with, you know, that not effectively, and you're going to ruin its reputation. You're going to have to come back and circle back again. And it usually costs twice as much when you have to do a do-over based on not doing it right the first time. Yeah. I and love that, that about that, ruining the reputation. Go ahead, yeah, yeah. It's the time wasted there. It's just, I mean, time yeah. today is so critical. You yeah. know, Beth, you're talking about, um, we talk about change and we talk about transformation. And when I think of transformation, I think of something bigger than change. Um, also, when I hear you talk about 
resiliency. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris and I value that significantly. And we think about how organizations can prepare themselves to compete in markets and segments that are highly competitive, right? There's just no industry, there's no organization that can just rest on a maintenance type of attitude. Um, So it seems to me that the work that you're doing um, should become part of, maybe for many organizations, can become the the beginning of a cultural transformation, not just, you know, something beyond the project at stake. Just like you did at Limited, it was Y2K, but then it uh, allows or gave you and your leadership team the yep. chance to a foothold to actually make a shift enterprise wide that could be lasting and more sustaining. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, that's what it's about when you're trying to create that change agility as a competency and change resiliency as a cultural transformation, um, because that's so critical. The mindset of your culture is such an important part of any change. So when people talk about change management, like we talked about before, sometimes they put it in a box rather than integrate it into what your culture and mindset is. If you don't have the culture of change or the mindset of change, it really does impact um, everything you're doing. So you've got to have the mindset, you've got to have the strategy, the tools, the templates, and then you have to have a sustainability model. You know, how are we going to keep this going? How are we going to build our muscle within the organization? So again, no matter what comes up, a pandemic, a recession, you know, we are able to pivot and be agile and you will have much less downtime and lack of productivity and disengagement and turnover because people are skilled and they are, they have that capability to be change resilient. When you talk about people have that ability, um, I love that because it's like, that's what I think all of us, we do the work for that reason. We know the human potential for change. Uh, we also know when it's resisting change. Yes. Uh, but I think about also two bigger models that have guided through change, like Cotter's model, his eight-part framework. Yeah. I'm resisting asking like a four part question here. So I'll just do two. And if you forget, no worries, I'll bring it back. Cause I know when we're passionate, we get into it. How enduring do you think that is as a framework still for today and, or what part of it is dated? Well, that's a great question. I, I'm not sure that dated is the right word. I think there there's been an evolution, right? Okay, so, good. you know, you have ProSci, you have Cotter and, and, and now people have made it much simpler, which I'm a big fan of. I think you get a lot more buy-in, you get a lot more understanding and adoption when you keep the models simple um, and it's easy to understand. So I really like the head, heart and hand model. And mm-hmm. that aligns with like our CQ intelligence, which is really, um, your change leadership style. And that really helps people understand that from, you know, ahead is really figuring out the why behind the change. And I need to understand that. And that's very important to me. I need to understand where I'm coming from. What's the with them, the what's in it for me. The heart is, is the emotional connection to the past. You know, people feel comfortable when they know what success looks like and what, when they know what to do. People feel really comfortable, Um, but when they don't know what to do and don't know what success looks like, that ambiguity causes 
so much, you know, disengagement. Mm-hmm. Um, so that emotional connection is the heart. And then the hands is how am I going to get it done? Mm-hmm. Um, what is the training I need? What are the new skills I need to acquire to really be successful in this new world? So head, heart, and hands, it's very simple. It addresses everything. What we try to do in change management is win people's, you know, hearts and minds over with the change to make sure that there's adoption. Um, but you know, it's not just a um, a sterile process. It is very emotional. And a lot of change consultants are industrial organizational psychologists because um, they really need to understand that emotional connection to the past and how you transition them to the future. Mm. Yeah, those emotions run high. What yeah. what would be one, and I know you can't give specific details, that's fine. Uh, what would be one of the hardest or most difficult changes you've served an organization mm. with facilitating? You know, one of those war stories. Yeah, well, I've, you know, I've got the lesions on my back, um, <laughs> you know, from uh, some of the challenges that I've seen in the past. But I would say, you know, large scale system implementations like an ERP are very, very difficult because they touch every part of the organization, they're never resourced enough. You know, people don't want to spend the money and resource. Like I said, they spend million dollars on software, millions of dollars on software, and then hardly any on the people part. Um, Mm. So I would say the hardest ones that I've seen are those large scale digital transformations, ERP transformations, you know, that they've never hit the deadlines. Um, the business is disengaged. They're not driving the process. Um, the leaders are checked out or they're not, you know, leading by example. Um, they, they don't get anywhere near the results. Employees are frustrated. There's turnover and, and I'm not naming any companies, but I could, I could cite a dozen companies where, um, just recently this has happened through the pandemic and, and they've quite frankly tried to go to, with the big four and um, the big four comes in with their armies of people and don't have the expertise and the specialization necessarily to help them. And look at sometimes change management is like a gift with purchase. And mm-hmm. it's like, <laughs> no, no, it's it's a it's a key part of um, it's a key part of the implementation. So that is probably one of the ones I see most that's most difficult because people don't understand how it's so far reaching and, and impacts everyone in the organization. And it's very expensive. Yeah. 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 Beth, you and I had the experience or the opportunity to work together on some, on a a similar project. And, you know, one of the things that um, I still remember and I still try to relate to clients as I speak to them uh, about past experiences and such is, you know, in that situation, we had an organization that, um, decided that there was a strategic requirement for a new enterprise class technology to support revenue generation. Let's just keep it general. Um, and what they did was they went through a very extensive year long process to select vendors to help them. Yep. But what, what, I, what I think I recognized was the initial assumption flawed the decision at the end, which was all we have to do is find somebody who can implement that tech, uh, the technology. And the tech was just part of it. That was the tool set, but we didn't up, there was no investment in upgrading the skill set or the mindset. And so what ended up happening was all the investment went into 
you know, the tool set and the vendors who the organization trusted to bring in uh, the expertise in the tool set, you know, gave short shrift to change management, whether it's because they didn't have the expertise or because it made their, their investment too high. They didn't know how to maybe get a return on investment in that. So, so the mistake was that the organizations went in with the assumption that was too, that was very narrow, the partners they trusted only viewed their job as implementing the technology, not delivering the ROI from the investment. Right. And that yeah. left a blind spot. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if, if you, you know, how do you help organizations think about how they expand their vision beyond what the, everybody else is telling them, right? The experts are telling them, look, you have to worry about change management. Just focus on the tech. Everything else will take care of itself. Yeah. It's so user-friendly. It's so easy, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that client actually called us back. Right. And they were like, whoops, you know, we, we thought mm-hmm. that I think it was Microsoft CRM. We thought that they included change management or we're going to have somebody internally work on this. And it's kind of like a sidecar job. And it's like, it never comes to fruition, right? Because it's kind of like, I'll get to that when I have time. No, you need full-time expertise and shepherding of of these processes. Um, But yeah, I think that when you have organizations like that, you really have to step back and, and help educate them on the risks and again, what it looks like. Cause this was their second time around. Right. Nice. So, you know, th- they don't want to fail a second time and you have to articulate and educate them on the risks and then put together kind of, here's what a successful, you know, program looks like. And in the end, you know, we have so many clients that come back to us and say, we should have listened to you because it would have been much less expensive at doing it right the first time. Right. Right. <laughs> right. That's uh, it's so powerful when you think about like sales leaders listening to this and CRM and how yeah. they get ambitious and visionary and we're going to advance this thing. We can do it. And they totally forget. For, for those that are listening, you used a verb there, shepherding. Um, yeah. Really, really powerful. It's so relational. What would be like the top three qualities you feel like you emulate or that your staff emulates that sales leaders and professionals could hear and go, I need to work on those three qualities as I continue to lead change in my organization? Yeah, great question. I think candor and and really helps elicit trust from the people Mm. that you're working with. So transparency, I think Mm. is important. Um, I also think empathy is really important because you have to understand where people are coming from and, and listening, listening is really critical because you've got to ask the right questions and spend more time finding out for people where their pain is, what's keeping them up at night. How do we help you through it? Because there's not a one size fits all and leaders job is to understand in each scenario, what, What skills, knowledge, abilities do I need to um, come in for this person, this person, this person? Everybody's going to have different needs and they're going to be in different places in the change journey. You've heard of the valley of despair, right? So the valley Mm -hmm. of despair is when people are going through the change. Now, I will tell you, most people are going to go through that whether you have a change management 
program or not. The, the real question is how long are they going to stay there? Yeah. Like if they don't have a change strategy, they're going to stay in the Valley of Despair a really long time to the point that they're never going to come up the curve to adoption and advocacy. Um, so our job is really to help them stay in that for a very short time and also set expectations. You know, the worst thing that you can do is tell them that this change is going to be, you know, the best thing since sliced bread and it's <laughs> going to make their lives so much easier. And, you know, I always under promise and over deliver. I'm like, tell them it's going to suck for a while. It's going to be harder for a while. And, and these are the reasons why we're doing this. Some may have benefit to you. Some may not. But there is so much, you know, communication, empathy, support, listening, being candid. Um, that's that's uh, critical to leaders going through a change and how to really lead through it with their employees. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, so good. No, I like I like it. And Chris, you asked a great question because it's this focus on listening, Beth, that I want to dive into. Um, we're all all three of us are used to working with ambitious people, ambitious leaders, um, organizations that set high goals and expect um, expect great things from their people. And that oftentimes means that when we enter an organization, when you enter an organization to start talking about change, you're talking to people who don't think they have time to listen. They don't have time to ask the insightful questions. They don't have time to think about maybe in their mind taking Maybe they view change management as, as taking two steps back. Yeah. Just take one step forward, let alone two steps forward. And, and so it's oftentimes just challenging to get the mind share around yeah. thinking like an investor, because if you, if you make the investment, it will get you to that next level of performance. What mm -hmm. kinds of conversations, what kind of questions do you ask? What kinds of questions maybe can you give our listeners to maybe ask of their leadership? When they're faced with a challenge that's like they know what they should be doing, but they're not getting the buy-in because people are so focused on their short-term goals. Yeah. And I, I think you you mentioned a couple of things that I think are really important is the fact that this is not something that should be looked about as an extra effort, right? This should be something they should be doing every single day. Mm. Every single day, they're leading people to grow. They're leading their business to succeed. Every single day, they have to, to look at their leadership skills and say, how does the leading change kind of come into play in a normal day in and day out scenario? So we have to help them understand that this is, this is part of their role that we want to um, not do it as an add-on, but do it as you know a benefit to what they're doing every day. So we try to bring examples of words they should use, actions, and even taking things that they typically do and incorporating change into that. So if they have a town hall meeting, if they have a department meeting, this isn't a separate change management meeting. This is, you know, how do we institute change within their department meetings? But they, the, the leaders really need to understand what success looks like for them as well. And they've got to ask the questions to the employees what do you need from me during this time? Some people are like, I need to be left alone. I'm, I'm a learner. I like to learn by myself. Um, some people really want to touch base with them on a weekly basis. Um, so they've got to understand like how to ask the right questions to the people that they're leading on what they need from them. If that makes sense. It does. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. I think it sounds like the biggest challenge or the biggest, um, 
you know, the biggest challenge to making this happen is this is this short-term idea, right? Change management is somehow attached to these transactions that we get involved in right. to improve our business. Whereas change management should be the underlying foundational skill set. Yeah. And then all the change that we anticipate or that we should be anticipating that that's going to happen to our company over time. Yeah. Those are the things that we're just prepared to, to make happen. Yeah. I mean, it's, it goes back to becoming change resilient organization and leader, right? I mean, it's, it's that change agility. I'm sure that many leaders through the pandemic had to exercise a lot of muscles they never had to use and there was no playbook. Um, so they really had to dig deep. And so this is a competency that we really work hard because um, leaders not leading change effectively is one of the biggest reasons transformations and change efforts fail. We really spend a lot of time focusing on um, building up their own capability um, individually and as a leadership team. And this is all the stuff that we kind of go over and teach them on how to bring that into their day-to-day, not just for this event. It's more of a process and it's lifelong. Mm. Do you have any kind of uh, typologies or caricatures that you have built out for how people react to change to to help executive leadership just efficiently, not reduce people down, but figure out like, here's what they need. Yeah, that's a great question. We have um, we have a lot of things around the head, heart, and hand model. If mm-hmm. you see this, here's mm-hmm. what you should do. And if and we also have that's from the model. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have created, um, like you said, like personas, if you will, and mm-hmm. and talking about like if Debbie Downer or Negative Nancy or you know you're starting to see these people come out. It's like, what do you do to get them through the valley Mm. of despair? Because like I said, there's no one size fits all. You have to deal with people differently. And we also talk about the psychology behind it. Why might they be feeling that way? And then how do you get them to the other side? Yeah, that's awesome. I I, want to run this by you and just see if what you think of it, the legitimacy of it. Because for me, what you're talking about, the valley of despair, I always say we can crawl through the valley or run through it. I want to yeah. run through. Yeah. Uh, it was research done on Myers-Briggs, which I know the typology as a whole doesn't have a lot of academic standing. It just has popular usage, but it found that there were four reactions to change based around Myers-Briggs. There's a visionary, a guardian, a relational person, and an mm-hmm. activist. So the visionary got the idea they want to change. The guardian is trying to honor and protect the past. The th- they're threatened by it. The action just want to take action and the relational just want us all to go together. Yeah. Um, and the mistake to often made is the visionary fires up the action oriented people. Yeah. The guardians resist and the relational are brokenhearted. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to share that just to get your take as an expert in the field yeah. on how that sounds. Does it sound legitimate? Is it too high level? No, I think it does sound legitimate, but also this is exactly what our CQ does. Um, okay. CQ is like EQ, right? Uh, mm-hmm. It's emotional intelligence and this is change intelligence and it's your change leadership style. It has seven styles mm. of a change leader and it's visionary, um, it's adapter, it's flexibility, um, it's a champion, it's a coach, Um it's a driver. So these are all an adapter. So those are all the seven styles of change. 
and we give them an assessment and it comes out kind of like your Myers-Briggs. It comes Mm -hmm. out like you are a change champion. So that means you have equal, um, equal leading styles from your heart and your head. And then the one that's a driver, um, may be hard, um, high in the hands Mm -hmm. section. So it really shows what your leadership style is and the easiest way to explain it is, you know, like strengths finders from, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Gallup and, you know, you sit there and you think about what are my natural tendencies as a leader and when I'm leading change. And so it shows your strengths, your blind spots. And it's really cool because as you go through the change, you can surround yourself with people who might help identify your blind spots and help you, you know, make them a strength. So I think, I think it does have absolute legitimacy and, um, it's like, this has evolved as well. CQ is probably just a little bit more evolved, Mm -hmm. um, but, but still very valid. And, and I think it's true. You're always going to have different styles in your leadership team. What you have to crack is understanding as an individual where you need to change, but also where do you need to lean in and help each other on the leadership team um, and, and maybe even hold each other accountable? Uh, accountability is a big, big deal when it comes to change management and leaders holding people accountable to the new ways of do, doing things is critical to the success. If they allow one time people not entering into your CRM, um, what message does that send? And so you really have to understand that and hold people accountable to it. Yeah, that's that, awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. And it brings up the next question for me. If I'm, if I'm trying to solve that challenge, like as a leader, if I see the, if I see the different styles, I don't, know how, I don't know how to name them necessarily, but I see the different yeah. styles and I see the competition, the competing styles between my leadership team or my leadership team members, uh, it would seem to me that uh, the first most important thing you could do for us is help us all understand it, but then I'll help us all understand how to fill those gaps. So identifying the blind spots is great, but now how do I change my behavior so I can actually work with everyone on the team to make this an efficient, effective endeavor? Yeah. Do you offer uh, insight and training and development around just that personal leadership skill? Yeah. I mean, that's all through the CQ, CQ kind of assessment and yeah. workshop. We look at the the strengths, the blind spots, and then we also have what's called an accountability partner. So it's people that know your style, know your strengths, know your blind spots, but in the day-to-day situation, they're able to hold you accountable to strengthening those blind mm-hmm. spots. And you're they're kind of like your personal board of directors, if you will. And so they're the ones that are saying, hey, in that meeting, I saw you roll your eyes, you know, Mm -hmm. and if you're not showing any interest in this, and if you're not showing that this is important or you're not talking about it, your people aren't going to think it's important. So, you know, it's really just holding you accountable to your own development and growth in that area. Wow. It just sounds like a healthy environment anyway. Um, Yeah. So is that something that you champion inside the organization as you begin your change management initiative? Yeah, we always want to put the leadership team through the CQ assessment and um, also the workshop. And and Dr. Barbara Trottenline 
um, is the creator of it. And, and we've been her partner for several years now. So it's really proven to be very, very successful. I, I was actually doing one in Texas not too long ago. It was with a company who we helped implement Workday implementation. And it went so, so well. We're actually doing a white paper on just the the partnership that we had and the benefits that change management had in, in that, um, in that implementation, but the CEO loved it so much. He asked us to get him another code to take the assessment for his wife, (laughs) which I thought that was great. (laughs) That, that is one of the questions I've resisted asking. Uh, maybe this is a good time to ask it now, but yeah. Do you, do you think, being good at change at home or in your personal life is an indicator of being good at change at work? That is a really great question. I would say absolutely. I think, Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of change agility is I think a characteristic as much as it's a competency. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that it, you know, I wrote the book powered by happy and the entire book is really messaged around how you deal with the cards you've been dealt. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, that's really change agility as well. Um, And I I really think that um, people are born with a a good part of that. But Mm -hmm. I think that it can also be strengthened and developed, especially depending on what um, position you're in as you grow in your professional career. Obviously, um, being a change agent is different than being a change leader. Mm -hmm. And... um, you know, that you can grow in different ways around it. Yeah. What is that difference in, in just a summary way of expressing it? Yeah. So change agent, um, you are really, the change is happening to you, but you are also the one that's advocating to your peers, your colleagues, and you're the change champion. Uh, the change leader is the one setting the direction, holding people accountable. They're in the more leadership role in, in helping people through that journey. Awesome. One more question, if I can. Yeah. Um, the world obviously is going through so much change. Mm-hmm. You see the struggle people are having at work because so much change is happening in their personal lives also more than ever. Uh, if you could give an encouraging message with all of your knowledge of change to people right now, what would that be? How would you encourage them to, to cope and cope well with all that's happening? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's so many silver linings that you, that we have had through COVID and and through the, the challenges that we've gone through. And frankly, the challenges that are probably yet to come. Um, I, I know when I started out in the pandemic, it, the first thing that I said to my team is I want to deal with everyone um, with as much care and compassion as we can. So mm-hmm. I think having that kindness element and, and helping others um, be successful is just so encouraging. And I think you give what you get. So the more you give, um, I think the more you're going to get back. So definitely encourage that. Awesome. Great topic. Great conversation, Beth. Uh, just incredible number of jewels here. I think the, the thing that we try for here on this on the show is enhancing and developing our awareness as leaders. And you've just hit on so many uh really pivotal, important topics. We'd love to continue the conversation, I think, uh, on another show. But uh, for now, we're going to have to wrap. Yeah. Um, You know, I'm curious, Beth, just because you've mentioned it, and it was such a big topic today, if anybody wants to learn more about this 
the uh, the CQ. How would they do that? Is it an easy way to get a hold of you or somebody on your team? Yeah, yeah. Just um, go to www.changeforgrowth.com, and that's number four, not F O R. Um, and you can find the info button and um, contact us that way, and we'd be happy to help. Dynamite. But it's been fun talking to you guys. My favorite topic that I'm passionate about. So I appreciate you guys inviting me on. Uh, pleasure, pleasure. This has been Beth Thomas, CEO of Change for Growth here in Columbus, Ohio. Um, lots of experience, lots of, lots of wisdom and uh, a great guest. We look forward to having you again. Thank you, Beth. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you've learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com, F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. Peace. Peace.